I'm glad that's true, aren't you? It was for us. Let me just say, uh, you can turn your Bibles, I'll be there in a little bit. Lamentations chapter 3. You say, where in the world is Lamentations? Well, go to the book of Jeremiah, and at the end of the 52nd chapter, you'll run into Lamentations chapter 3, and I'll be there. Also, I just want to say one thing. Uh, Rose Goldsby went home to be at the Lord, and uh, she was quite a lady. She had fought cancer for 25 years. And uh, she had prayed that she could see uh, her uh, children grow up, her grandkids, and uh, graduate and get married. And she got to see those things. And uh, so when it came around this time, she said, I'm ready to go. And she went home to be at the Lord. Uh, we'll have a service on October the 3rd, October the 3rd. Uh, the kids are on a missionary trip. And as soon as they get back, and then we'll have that service. But Rosie goes me. She was shorter than I was. And I always felt big around her. I said she, was, she could have been one of the munchkins in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> She's a great lady. Amen. Be, pray for Bob and Robin and the family. I know they, they'd appreciate that. Todd, and I'll be there in Lamentations just a moment. Title of my message this morning is, So You Think You're Having a Bad Day. So you think you're having a bad day. Think again. I want to show you somebody that is having a lot worse day than we could ever have. Life is unfair. We live in a fallen world. Uh, we live among fallen people. And we have attacks, trials, hurt, health problems. Divorce, death, a fall, financial problems, crises, all these things come crushing down on us all the time. I'm grateful that there were some great Old Testament people that were examples for us, that we could be able to apply it to our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, now all these things, talking about Israel, happen unto them for in samples that they are written for our admonition, for our warnings upon whom the ends of the world are come. And then he says in Romans 15, 4, he says this, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so today I want to look at a fellow by the name of Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah is an unbelievable person who put up with so much. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet of God to Israel. Uh, he prophesied to the people, to the king himself. And because of Israel's sin, God chastened them, judged them repeatedly. Jeremiah would tell the truth. They'd throw him in prison for telling the truth. He'd get out. He prophesied again the truth. They throw him back in prison. And this went on throughout his life. He was more in prison than he was in life in a sense. And so he had to suffer quite a bit uh, because of Israel's sin, her chastening, her captivity, her being burdened, because of Jeremiah being a part of Israel. He also had to suffer 
along with them, even though he had not done what his people had done. Jeremiah felt God was far away from him. You see, his portion was bound to the nation of Israel that was being judged. So we come to Lamentations, and it just tells you, just bear with me at the beginning for a few verses here, then I'll make the application, I promise. But I just want to show you what kind of day Jeremiah's been having when he wrote this, okay? Notice in verse 1, he, he felt the wrath of God. He personally experienced it through Israel. He had seen Jerusalem's destruction. He'd seen captivity of his people going into Babylon. It would be like a foreign nation invading us and making us slaves to serve them. All of this is before his eyes. In verse 2 then, if you're looking at it on, in the Bible, he's overwhelmed by his ungodly, spiritually dark society. We look all around us and we see what's going on in our country. We're beginning to live in a dark society, aren't we? But God allowed him to be in the midst of all this sin and all this depravity, and he's experiencing it. In verse 3, he seemingly is backhanded by God because he's judging Israel. The deck of life seems stacked. It seems like the odds are against him. He's thinking, does God even care? You ever thought that? Does God remember me? Does he even care about me? In verse 4, He's been worn down. He's aged early because of the judgments upon Israel. He's overwhelmed. He's burdened, and he's tired of it all. In verse 5, he's surrounded with pain, surrounded with the enemy. His time is just awful. In verse 6, he's feeling he's over the hill, unuseful, useless, forgotten. He thinks that people don't even know if he's alive or not. He spends so much time in prison. Verse 7, he's a slave with no escape, no exit possible. He's in prison in his lot in life, seemingly no hope. He's praying to no avail. It's as, when, it's as if when he prays, his prayers don't go any higher than the ceiling. He feels so alone. In verse 9, he has no path to walk, steps to guide him. There's only uncertainty at this time. He feels like he's going nowhere. In verse 10, he's frightened, fearful. He's become the prey. He's become the victim. It seems as if everyone is out to get him. You ever felt that in your life? Everybody wants my, wants my head? <laughs> Verse 11, he's being torn apart. He doesn't feel like he has any value anymore. He feels barren, desolate, unfruitful in his life. In verse 12, he becomes a target. He feels like there's a big bullseye on him waiting to get hit. In verse 13, he lost any order or control of his life by all these relentless attacks. There's a knife in his heart that goes all the way to his soul, and he has no way to stop it on his own. 
In verse 14, he's talked about by others as being unstable, unsteady. Now remember, he's the prophet of God. If anybody's supposed to, supposed to be the preacher, right? He's the object of ridicule, scorn, contempt. In verse 15, he's hurt, wounded as if under a curse. His anger, hurt, frustration is just consuming him. That happens to me when I drive in the streets and all the traffic lights and all the slow people. I just want them to get out of the way. I said to Carol yesterday, I just want to hit one green light. Just one. Verse 16, he's broken, disfigured, both physically because of being in prison and spiritually because of all the judgments coming down. Verse 17, he's lost his peace of mind. There's no prosperity. They don't exist. He's just having inner turmoil. In verse 18, he's lost all hope and faith at that moment. Seemingly, there are no answers, no solution. So what's the use of anything anyhow? Verse 19, he's obsessed with his own circumstances and pain. He can't see anything else only what he's going through. And then verse 20, he can't stop remembering his bad life, his pain daily, his chin is on the ground. And you think you're having a bad day. Amen? Jeremiah is having a bad time. It's rough. And he didn't call it up on himself. It was just part of life and where he was stationed at that time. I've told you before, but I like it. Uh, many years ago, a fellow by the name of Jack Hudson, he's an old-time preacher, and uh, he said he was at church, the office, had a lady get all over him for doing something wrong. He had somebody else get him. He did that. I mean, it was a horrible day. He went home, and his wife said, Honey, I'm sorry to tell you, but he lived in the trailer. He said, Our, our John's all stopped up. It's not flushing. So he got underneath the trailer, and he got there working on the pipes, and it came loose, and all the stuff came down on him. Yeah. And while he's down there, he realized all this going on. He just looked up to God, and he said, Let her rip! <laughs> Whatever you want to do, it can't get worse than that. Let her go. Notice verse 21. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Wait a minute now. In the midst of everything he's going through, he stops circumstances focus, and he reminds himself of God. And that gave him a twicker of hope here. Notice the first part of verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. He begins to see God in it. God's mercy means he refrains from punishing the guilty. He pities one with forgiveness. It means to act kindly to the undeserving. Just like us, we deserve to go to hell. But it states in Titus 3, 5, he said this, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Thank God for his mercy. 
We were lost. He could have condemned us if he wanted to, but he bore our sins. We've often failed, but he's loved us unconditionally. We've at times acted ungodly, but he still accepts us as his own in Christ. A woman was looking in a mirror and said to her husband, this mirror doesn't do me justice. And he said, you don't need justice, you need mercy. Mercy. And we don't need justice. We need mercy. Amen. Anything that comes to us good is of God's mercy. And a good thing about him giving us mercy, Ephesians 2, 4, says this here. But God who is rich in mercy, thank God, he's a merciful God, isn't he? So the first thing he reminded himself that God is a God of mercy. The second thing he reminded himself in verse 22, he says this, because his compassions fail not. The second thing is God amazingly has deep feelings, sympathy, emotions for us because he loves us. When we are in trouble, he has the desire, the heart, to help us. God is a compassionate God. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus, and it states this, the Lord saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion. If you're here and you're saved today, if he loved you while you were a sinner, don't you think he has compassion for you as a believer? You know as well as I do, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Thank God for that truth. God has compassion for the faithful, the lonely, the physically weak, the down and out, the divorced, the failure, the immoral fallen, the drunkard, the wayward, the addict, the hurting, the struggling, the overwhelmed, the sinking, the hopeless, and you and me. <laughs> he truly cares. I really believe as I studied the Bible over these years, I really believe and think that God feels sorry for us for living in sinful flesh. You see, when we get saved, we're guaranteed total salvation. But when we first get saved, we don't have total salvation yet. Our soul, our spirit, we're saved. That's sealed. Nothing can change that. But our bodies have not been redeemed yet. But one day our bodies will be redeemed when the rapture happens and we meet the Lord in the air. That's when we'll be transformed. And I think about his compassions. They fail not. Myself, in my life, there have been times I've had people leave me. And you ought to be a pastor. Well, they want to go to another church. Well, they didn't like what you said. Well, you didn't dress right. Well, and, and you go through a roller coaster of emotions. But it's interesting. When people have left me, God has moved to make me conscious of his presence and his care. Amen? Even Paul went through this. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 16, 
notwithstanding, verse 16, back up to verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me. There They left him. But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, what? The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Why does he do that? Because he's compassionate. All that Jeremiah has gone through, going through, he sees a God who is full of mercy. He sees and reminds himself of a God who is compassionate. And then in verse 23, he sees something else. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He sees God's faithfulness. That means God's loyal, truthful to who he is, his character, and his word. You can bank on it. He'll be faithful to you. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this here. If we believe not yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny who he is himself. Isn't that good to be able to know that? And as you look back, God's been faithful to us. He's been faithful in our salvation. Faithful when we're tempted. Faithful when we're going through stuff and trials. Faithful in providing our every need. You know, sometimes he doesn't step in and remove the... Whoop, whoop. That's good. Doesn't step in and remove the consequences of what we've done. We reap what we sow, people. We do. But he is faithful. He will be there for us in providing. I look back over my life and being in the ministry, you don't go out and you have another couple more jobs or whatever, at least from our circles. Nothing wrong with being bio-vocational. I understand that. I did that for a couple years. I did concrete work, knocked on doors three days a week, and then had services. I understand what that's about. But it's amazing how God has used people in our life or we would not have made it ever. Not that we have a lot, but we have everything needed. And God is good. I think of our church. I think of our offerings. Be sure to click that little box. <laughs> Put something in it. <laughs> Amen. Don't just stare at it. <laughs> Fill that baby up. You know, uh, we've gone from $2.2, $2.4 million in debt in us, our mortgage, just our mortgage, and it's down to $180,000 now. That, that's, that, that's beside all of the ministries and staff and programs, electricity, you know, I mean, heat, air. I know some of you get cold in here, <laughs> but it's warm up here. <laughs> and at one time here, not long ago, we had about $70,000 in the bank. And we had to have three air conditioners worked on and we spent close to $70,000 on air conditioners. 
two new units and repair of another one. So each week we just hold our breath what our offering is going to be. And, uh, you know, like last week I think we had $9,000 here and thank God we had $7,000 come in online. And that hits our budget. I think we're down to about three to 5000 something like that, dollars. And so we're living by faith. <laughs> but I've learned something. God always provides, especially when you're trying to do something for him. I believe he honors that. So he's a God of faithfulness. Here's Jeremiah. Hope came to him when he remembered his God, a God who has mercy, a God who has compassion, a God who has faithfulness. That turned it around for him. That's how he could cope with what he was going through in his bad day. Now, we make that application to us. Let's remind ourselves again of what he did, very simply, verse 22 and 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The first thing he did, he focused on his God. And he reminded himself that in his midst, God is merciful, compassionate, and faithful. He focused on who God is and what he's done. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. They don't look so bad when you see your God. That's why, by the way, worship is important. A lot of people try and do away with worship. I hope we don't ever. You know why? Because worship, we focus on him. That's what we want to do. We want to praise him. And if anybody needs to be praised, it's God. So we worship him. The second thing he did, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. There he decided God was enough for him. Amen? He decided God was enough for him. Is he enough for you? Well, you just don't know him and you haven't applied him then because he's more than sufficient. Amen. He's still on the throne. He knows what we need. And sometimes we don't know this or learn this truth until he's all we have. And it's when nothing else is going on, that's when we need him. We need to realize that. I remember I was at University Heights. I'd left Emmanuel, a large congregation at that time, down there, ran about 140 people, inner city. I'm sitting on steps in the old foyer. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world have I done? God, I feel so alone. This job is overwhelming. There is so much need here. I have no clue how it's going to be done. But then... God had somebody walk in that day just to give me a word of encouragement. You know, God knows what you need. He knows what you're going through. And he'll take you the rest of the way through. I believe that. 
And then, notice, he focused on his God. He decided God was enough for him. And the last thing, verse 25, 26. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation or deliverance of the Lord. He waited patiently for God's help. He waited patiently for God's help. In the midst of all his circumstances, he waits. And what happens when you wait, by the way? You're going through it. It's rough, but you wait patiently on God. Isaiah 41, 31, you know it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So I tell you today that today as we wait on God, keep on standing. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do you know something? Our community, our world, needs us now more than ever before. Our country does, whether they know it or not. We are the only salt, the only light this world can see today. Keep on standing. Keep on praying. It's good that we cry out to God. Amen. He wants to hear from us. And when you pray in the midst of all these things going on in your life, when you pray, a, there is a transformation that takes place. You go from all of your circumstances to say, God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm believing in you. And then keep on serving. Don't stop going forward for Christ. Keep on serving. You know, perhaps for his sake, of course, but also, maybe he's taking you through what you're going through because he has something greater for you to do. I think of Abraham. We always talk about Abraham offering up Isaac. Do you know they counted the trials that Abraham passed before 25 trials? That was the 25th one. So he had passed 24 trials to have the greatest trial of all to glorify God. You think of Job. Think of what Job went through. But he stayed faithful at it. God had something greater for him. At the end of his life, he had double of what he had prior. You think of Moses. Moses worshipped almost in Egypt, then became a murderer, fled, and for 40 years on the backside of the desert, God trained him. And that's something, why? He had something greater for him to do. You don't know what God has for you unless you hang in there and you fight and you stand and you pray and you serve. No telling what you'll be able to accomplish one day with God's help. And lastly, keep on trusting. Believe in him. He will not fail you. There's a lot of times I've had failures, not measured up, had a lack of, but it's never ever been because of God's failure to me. 
he can be believed and trusted. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're lost without him. You can't claim or you can't apply these truths to your life unless you're one of his children. You're still lost, alienated from God, no life, no God, no hope. That's why Christ came. On an old rugged cross, he died. He took your sins on himself, and he died for your sins. Shed his blood. They buried him. Three days later, he rose from the grave of life. That is called the gospel. And if today you will turn to him in faith, say, I believe what Christ, who he is, what he's accomplished, that, his death, burial, resurrection, is enough to save me. I'm trusting him and his work. If you believe that today, God will save you today. Amen? But then I say to you Christians who are borderline, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, going back and forth, back and forth. As a result of that, we're reaping what we've sown, and it, it's rough right now. It's tough. I'm going through everything. You might be a Christian just says, man, it's tough. I didn't think the Christian life would be this difficult. Let me ask you something. Where are you going? If you turn your back on God, where are you going? Where else is there to go to? The world, the devil, the flesh? Is that where you want to go to? Peter said this in John 6, 66 and following. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because he told them the truth. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I say to you Christians, where are you going if you leave him? He's there. He loves you. He has mercy. He has compassion. He's faithful. Why would you ever want to leave that? Amen. Believe in him. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for his example that in the midst of all that he was going through, he reminded himself of you. And God, I pray that whatever our folk are going through right now or here today, may they just remind themselves of you. And when we begin to see you high and lifted up, we'll step back and we also will say, holy, holy, holy. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Stan's going to sing a song. Let's everybody stand if you would. If you're here today, you've never been saved, we invite you to come. If you're here today, you did believe in Christ, still come. Let us give you some material and you can leave. If you've been here and you've been visiting, you say, you know, I want to belong to a church that's crazy like this church. We invite you. God loves crazy people, amen? I qualify. We invite you to come and be with us to do something for God. Stan? Turn your eyes.
We hope you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.